This is Rugger Matrix America. Welcome, everybody, to the show. This is Alex Goff, Editor-in-Chief of RugbyMag.com, and this week we're just out of Las Vegas, out of the USA 7s, uh, kind of a you know rugby coverage hangover going on there. Uh, we are coming out of uh, Vegas with Pat Clifton on the show and Jackie Finlan on the show talking about Vegas. We do not have Bruce McLean this time. Bruce did not go to Vegas uh, as he has uh, an illness in the family. We wish him all the best with that and we certainly will be back next week. But we have Jackie and we have Pat and we're ready to go even though I needed uh, two or three naps on the day after just to get through the day. It's good, yeah. Uh, nap would be nice. Uh, I got stuck in Vegas. I spent a lot of time in that uh, McCarran Airport before I headed out, so I was able to get some work done and relaxation there. But yeah, Vegas is always—it always leaves you reeling a little bit of a hangover. And you know what I've noticed is sitting in that airport, listening to everybody else complain. I don't know that anybody ever leaves Las Vegas in a good mood, whether it's a hangover or you spent too much money or you married somebody you shouldn't have. I'm not convinced anybody ever actually leaves Vegas happy. That's interesting. Or they don't want to go, but uh, you know they have to go back to their regular regular lives. But yeah, it's a, it's kind of a, a crazy place. And and Jackie, you seem you seem to have more energy than uh, than I did at the end of the at the end of the trip. Yeah, it was it was a good kind of hectic. I think like it gets your batteries recharged about uh, just seeing rugby, like all this rugby coming up. So I think even though it was a hectic three days, it was kind of. It was exciting, so yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, for, for me, I think for you guys too, the weather is is great too. So it was nice to see the sun. Um, impressions of the weekend. So we had the Las Vegas Invitational, which had over two hundred teams involved uh, on fields uh, near Sam Boyd Stadium, but stadium, but also uh, out in sort of the southern area where the high schoolers were, and then we had the. Uh, the USA Sevens proper, which drew uh, a record number of fans. There were 30, 000, over 30,000 on Saturday. The total for the three days was six, over 64,000 fans, um, paying fans. So, so you know, when the, the final numbers come out, they'll, they'll actually – there are people who got comps, you know, everything from ball boys to volunteers and things like that. And so it will probably bump up. But the paying attendance was 64,000, which was really great for the tournament. Um, and, and Jackie, you first. What, what stuck it out in your mind uh, from the weekend? Well, I think – well, about the LVI, the thing that impressed me the most was the women's elite division. It was the first year that they held this division, and – even though they, you know, they put it on the schedule, they, you know, you could only hope that these top teams are going to come out. And we had um, basically the German national team, their academy side. You had all these great Canadian teams with all these internationals, um, a lot of uh, all-star type teams from the U.S. that had a lot of former, like, former Eagles on the team. So it just turned down to this wonderfully competitive international competition, which I'm not sure if anybody expected that kind of response. And so it was really interesting to see, you know, the community respond to that opportunity. We well, we had we we've had the women's international for several years, and then we've had the women's open, which is is just a huge dichotomy from the top teams, which were pretty pretty solid sevens teams, to the bottom, which were you know a bunch of players who just got together for that weekend. So it was great to get that that elite level, and uh, yeah, you know, the standard was really high. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it gave an opportunity for those second-tier teams, like Chile came up, and they're an up-and-coming team in South America, and like I said, the Germany, Germany Academy side. Um, and I know John Tate, the Canadian coach, he had a lot of his players who were on the periphery there playing on some, some of those all-star teams, so he was out there checking out. The Dog River Howlers, by the way, which is a which is a semi-pro touring club from Saskatchewan, which had um, I think they had five teams. They had youth teams, they had women's teams in two brackets, they had men's teams in two brackets. Chilean team, women's team is hilarious because they're they're I, I don't think I saw a player who was over five foot two. They're all really tiny. Um, and and Pat, um, I don't know if you saw too much of the women's elite, but you were looking at a whole bunch of other stuff too. Yeah, I probably spent uh, less time <laughs> watching the women's elite than you, know, you guys did. I watched, um, you know, the men's elite competition was great, kind of similar to what you guys said about the women's um, fits with the men. It had more international teams than it's had in the past. Um, you had Belmont Shore, uh, or excuse me, Tiger Rugby, as they rebranded for the weekend, um, which was as it worked out to essentially be a USA's B-side, um, uh, played really well and made it to the final and beat Spain, um, you know, a team that the USA hasn't beat um, lately, if ever, uh, actually on the series. So yeah, it was, a, that was a good weekend for, for the men's elite, but really the, the competition that stuck out for me to no surprise, uh, for anyone was the CRC qualifier. Um, Alex, you and I talked about it a while ago as potentially going to be the best, uh, the most entertaining, uh, best sevens college sevens tournament in the country. And, uh, it certainly is the best one so far. It lived up to the, yeah, bill, it was. to the bill so far. I mean, the, the final was great. The semifinals were probably the most um, dramatic rounds, especially with, you know, Utah being tied to Davenport 5-5 at halftime and after halftime on walks the ponytail of Threaten Palamo, um, who <laughs> was not supposed to be playing, hadn't played the whole tournament, but decided he needed to get in there. And it was a really dramatic, great tournament. Anybody who paid a lot of attention to it throughout the weekend um, couldn't have left anything but entertained and and you could tell, and it wasn't just the players, but when it got to those semifinal games, everybody was surrounding those two pitches um, right there next to Sam Boyd Stadium. And then the show on the inside was it was just as good too. I love that when when every almost everything stops because everyone realizes that there's a big game going on. That Davenport Utah game was incredibly dramatic, and the final in the stadium was was dramatic too. The men's elite final, not so much. Um, what one of the things that I um, I got to get out to the anthem fields and see the high school uh, players play and and see stuff like um, the Washington State under nineteen sevens all stars play the high school all Americans B team and beat them something like that it, which which is pretty great on a lot of levels but also watching how the I mean I was really impressed with the high school all Americans in the end the high school all American uh, a side lost in the final to British Columbia they should have lost uh, British Columbia looked bigger they looked more polished they'd been practicing a lot more there's a sort of an elite training program uh, the the high, the American kids they'd been together for a lot less some of them had hardly played any sevens at all but the American kids really grew through the entire tournament. And for the, the High School All-American second team, they played Dog River for the plate final. and uh, Or it might have been the bowl final. One of the consolation finals. And I watched that game. And the the All-Americans put together a really nice try. And it was one of those things where... And, and you guys have seen this. <clears throat> You're watching teams that don't play a lot of sevens. 
and they've got a four-on-one or they've got a four-on-two, something like that, and the second guy who gets the ball doesn't pass it and cuts back into traffic and nothing happens, right? We know it's, everyone's going, oh, my God. Well, here in, on, on this play, at least one guy took the ball and simply just took it, drew a defender, and passed it within a split second, and that's why they scored to try. And then it's 5 nothing right at the end. High school All-Americans get a yellow card, and they spend the last two minutes defending in their own 22 against a very good Dog River team, and they defended and they won 5 nothing. And I, th- I thought there, you know, if, you, if you're Salty Thompson and the, and the coaching staff there, uh, Paul Barford, Michael Engelbrecht, and uh, uh, Luke Gross was helping them, and, and Eric Tabor is helping them, they've got to be pretty proud because what they saw was a bunch of kids who trying to play who didn't really know what they were doing come together and within the space of a few games and a couple of days show that they do know what they're doing and i was really really impressed with that group just mentally as much as anything else so um that was fun it was a great deal of fun uh we also had uh the the big tournament we talked about the crowd crowd was big uh, didn't really talk about the games. The games were really fun to watch. Uh, phenomenal stuff. And and that final, Samoa against New Zealand, was as exciting a final as you're going to see. And, and the, the game was uh, ended on the final play of the game. Um, the USA men's team didn't do so well. They, uh, they lost four. They won one. They beat France. It was the only game that they won. Uh, and and kind of disappointing. There's an awful lot of talk about, um, you know, it's just sort of disappointing results of late. Um, I ran into Shalom Suniulo while he was eating lunch at the end of the tournament, uh, and we had a little bit of a talk. We talked a little bit about the statistical report, and we talked about um, what's going on uh, going forward. So this is my talk with, uh, Shalom. Sorry about the, the band playing in the background, but Hey, it's a party. I'm, I was looking at some of the stats. First of all, we lost three games by a try or less. And the other one, Fiji, we could have been that close. You had, uh, your worst tackle rate was against Canada with 76. You had 94 in one of them. You had in the eighties. Those are all good. Error rates generally were worse. You'd make four or five or six. The other team would make two. Yeah. Um, and then the other... So, so first of all, there. I mean, that's pretty obvious things. Like, a couple of mistakes here and there. Um, is that what you're talking about? Is that how you feel? Yeah. Those, those, those mistakes could uh, be controversial. I mean, they capitalize on our mistakes. And there's yeah. turnovers. Essentially, it's turnovers where we, where we go wrong. So those errors... They turn it into tries, and good teams will turn it into tries, and that's just the way the game is. I mean, at this level, anyway. Uh, I would think a lot of people think that uh, you are going to get actually lose significantly to Australia, yeah. the way the form has been going. You didn't. You almost beat them. Yeah. Once again, we fell short. Yeah. And it's probably, I haven't seen the stats yet, but uh, I say it would be the, the errors. Yeah. yeah. It was the errors, and if we correct those little things and, and get on the same page, then maybe at the end, then we could be up by that try. You made six errors. Yep. So it's... Uh, um, how are you feeling as captain? I 
feeling good. There's a good, there's a good feeling amongst the boys. I mean, I'm still striving to be a better captain. I'm always trying to find ways to to make the players relate and contribute more, so they don't feel that oh, I get to boss them around or whatever. I don't want to be that kind of captain. I want to be a captain where everyone gets to stand, everyone's a leader, everyone feels like a leader at least out there. Forget about you know who, who gets to be picked or something, but uh-huh. wouldn't you love to be able to take these 12 guys? I know Roland's hurt, but take these 12 guys and go to the next one and the next one. Just everybody be yeah, the same. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at the good teams, they only picked like 15 guys and they worked yeah. with 15 guys throughout the whole the whole series. And if we can get to that that type of, type of pool of players, then we'll be, we'll be a team to watch out for. Uh, compare this atmosphere to, you know, Wellington. This is this is a different atmosphere. This has been crazy. Yeah. I think Vegas has grown over the last two years significantly, and we feel the support so much. I mean, it gives you that little little drive inside to go that extra mile, that extra step. You know, it's Everton's game of inches, you know, and, and every inch counts. There's a lot of occasions where you're one step too late to make that tackle, one step to the rug, and having a crowd like this will make you go that extra mile. Because it is a narrower field, yeah. praise the crowd more on top of you. Yeah, it is. And with it being more on top of us, I can't even hear my teammates. Here I am at the back and the fans trying to yell at my teammates. I tend to, I have to come closer to them to yell at them. I find I'm only five meters away from them where I should be 20 meters back covering yeah. kicks. So, I mean, it just shows how loud the crowd is and how close it is. How hard is this? How hard is it to do this? It's difficult. It's difficult. Because it's not easy. I don't mean to interrupt you, but you know, uh, Belmont Shore came out and played. Yeah. You know, Tiger Rugby played that game. And a lot of people were saying, there's a bunch of guys who used to play for the Eagles or want to be on the Eagles. They're going to show that. I was, and I watched them. And first of all, they got beat 19 nothing. But it, the, it's like, it's not that easy that you just say, you know what? Let's just pick 12 different guys, put them out, and they would do better. It's hard. It's definitely hard. You've got to be all on the same page. That's the hardest thing. And to be on the same page, you've got to train together well. You've got to train every day. And some, some, some people have different commitments. I mean, this is not the highest paying job, but it's what we do for because we love it. We love it and we leave our families behind to do it. Um, we take all these risks for our passion for the sport and to help rugby grow in America all together. And that's, at the end of the day, I guess that's what we're passionate about, our future as well. All right, one last question. What do you have for lunch? Oh, i got a Subway sandwich here. All right. I've got Tur- a little bit of red meat in there as well. Turkey and sausage yeah. and meatball. And yeah, and I kind of put a double up the meat now because uh, it's, all, <laughs> it's all done now. I get to have right. a little bit of extra Amen. meat. Right. Appreciate it, So that was Shalom Suniula, the uh, USA Sevens team captain. And uh, guys, you know, what, what struck me, and I, I realized I kind of led him. I, I led him with the question. But I said, if you were... You know, forget about you know who you who you like better or something. If you took these twelve players and you took them to Hong Kong, how would you feel about that? And he said, "I would love to do that. I would love to have a tournament where we played a couple of tournaments with a bunch of guys and we switched around and we still played with those, so we could build on anything that we've learned without having to to reeducate anybody and we would learn to work together." Positives or is it negatives on this? Um, well, you and I have had plenty of banter about this off the air and Jackie's been submitted to it, having to listen to it, but you, you know where I come from. It's, it's, you're one and nine in your last 10 games. You're losing to Canada. Who's played one less tournament than you. Um, and, and you're doing that in a year where you get a point just for showing up, you get a participation point. So by playing in the tournament, 
you get a point already. And even with that it considered, um, Canada has almost double, is averaging almost double the amount of points per tournament. Uh, and, and to say, yes, we played close, you know, we played close games. Yeah, we lost four, but they were closer. We had a chance to win and we didn't get blown out. Well, to me, not getting blown out and losing close games isn't accept. I mean, that's not a win. There's no moral victory in that. And it certainly doesn't mean improvement is coming unless they do something, unless they turn around and win in Hong Kong. If you turn around and win in Hong Kong and they show some continuity in that improvement, then fine. I'll, I'll let the, their improving argument stand. But one in four is not, is not okay. It's not acceptable. And one in nine, which is what they are, or I'm sorry, one in, yeah, one in, one in 10, or was it one, one in nine? One in, one in 10 since the, the end of the South African tournament. Correct. One in nine in the last two, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's bad. That's that's you can't paint that with a you know an optimistic brush anyway I see it. There were too many balls dropped. They led the tournament in errors. Um, you know Shalom Suniula, who is a very good player, we saw him miss passes left and right. This guy has been growing up playing rugby his whole life. He's one of the best players in the United States. He's a co-captain, and we know what he's capable of. And he's you know making passes and compounding errors, and it was terrible. I mean that's not good. There were flashes of good play, um, of offensive continuity, which there was none of in Wellington. But at the end of the day, you know what you're going to be judged on is wins and losses. And uh, you know to be sitting where we are at this point in the uh, in the tournament with Canada going, you know, again to um, you know much farther than the United States, it's just it's not okay. We have to use Canada as as a, as a way to kind of gauge what we're doing. And again, they were more successful. And uh, yeah, one in one in ten is just you can't do that. Well, see, okay, okay, but there has, you know, there has to be a, a measurement within the losses. You know, loss is bad, right? We don't want to lose, but but if 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 you go out and you lose fifty to nothing, or you go out and you lose twenty nine twenty seven, you know that there's a difference between those two games. So we know. I mean, and and I'm not excusing. By saying that Wellington was bad, Wellington they didn't score in three of those games, and they lost to Cook Islands, which they should never have done, and they they played extremely poorly when the game was on the line, which is one of the reasons why they lost to Scotland. Wellington was really bad. Las Vegas was not really bad. Las Vegas was disappointing, but they did play better. They scored they scored tries in every game. They, they showed that they could actually attack. The problem was that, with again, with the game on the line, they did the wrong thing. The problem was with the game on the line, they screwed up rather badly. The, the entire sequence again at the end in Canada, the first, the first uh, what, uh, 10 and a half to 12 minutes against Canada was pretty much fine. We would, we would live with that. And the last two minutes was a horror show against them. And that so so I, I I just think that there is a movement to being better. The question and it, I mean it ends up being the same thing, Pat. The question is, are they better next time around as well? Do they go in with with and, and they're probably going to have the same group of players with maybe one injury replacement? And do they go into Hong Kong and they make the same mistakes, or do they do they fix those errors? So here, you're right. So they led they led the team in a, they led the tournament in errors. They made 24 errors in five games, which is a 4.8. Japan had four errors a game, and Fiji, Scotland, and South Africa all had 3.8. So basically, if you take Japan out of the equation, 
they were an error a game worse than anybody else in the tournament. Here's, here's another stat that you you and I also talked about. You're right. That is unacceptable. It, but th- that that might make it look not as bad as it really is. The amount of passes they had to make because they couldn't break the line. You know, Fiji yeah. and South Africa, while they make mistakes, would make extraordinary plays on the other end, which is the reason they can still win while making mistakes. The United States doesn't do that. And it's not just – I mean, you look at the amount of losses that have piled up. It's It's not that there's no continuity from last tournament to this tournament. There was no new cap given out in the United States sevens. Nobody got a new cap in Las Vegas. Everybody had played. Most of these people have multiple tournaments under their belts. You got the two most capped sevens Eagles of all time, and Zach Test and Matt Hawkins playing on the same team starting every game. At some point, this lack of continuity has to quit being an excuse. And it's not going to quit being an excuse until you win. Now, can you say we improved from Wellington? Yes. But you also say that we got drastically worse for between South Africa and Wellington. So that's, you know, just because you're getting better yeah, yeah. means you went pretty low to get better. So you have to judge where we are as a whole. And right now, it's pretty bad. If they go win in Hong Kong and they show that this was market improvement and they do continue to actually steadily climb throughout the rest of the season, I'll concede that maybe Vegas was a turning point and, and, and Wellington was the rock bottom they had to hit and Vegas was their way back up. But until they actually do that, until they start winning three or four games a tournament, then, you know, it, it's, it's awful hard to say that it was – signs of improvement it has to be it has to be the the turning point you're right, you're right. I, I mean i mean it has it has to be the turning point other, other otherwise something rather drastic has to change i you know i the, their offense the fact that they that they passed more than than any other team is odd but samoa passed the second most and south africa passed the third most and they were all very close we we're talking about um a difference of two passes a game uh between those three so it's really not um, and the, the teams that passed the least were Brazil and Uruguay. USA has done a really good job right now that, that in, in that their, their game plan is now dominate possession, hold on to it for a long period of time, don't try, try to do anything too flashy, and play decent defense. Now, the problem is that what what partly played against them is that their, their game plan seemed to be centered around a wider field. The USA 7, the USA field in Las Vegas is actually narrower, significantly narrower than they play in other tournaments. I'm interested to see them do exactly what they did offensively in Vegas. Do that in Hong Kong with another uh, 10 meters or plus uh, out wide and see whether Maka Nufe could actually turn the corner on some guys. Because if they can do that, then so, uh, I have a feeling we're going to see fewer passes because we won't see Nufe cut back reset and have them pass to the other side anymore because he's already gone again we don't know that we haven't seen that if that happens then what happened in las vegas falls on the shoulders of al caravelli you don't plan for a wide field when you know you're playing on the narrowest field in the series okay you need to win in front of your fans you need to win in front of the however many millions that watch on tv you need to play you know win in front of the sixty-four thousand that showed up that is usa sevens is the most important tournament of the year. USA is not in a point where they're going to win the series, but if they can win in the United States, that does more for them as a whole and more for the rugby in this country as a whole than anything else that happens on the series. And so yeah, if they're not you know, playing you, to you win it there, then what, are, then what are they doing if they're drawing up a scheme that's not designed to win in Vegas? Yeah. I'm and convinced I, that they I, – I, I, agree. I agree with that because they, what they needed to do is they needed to break the line inside and then put it out wide, or they needed to kick more. And and kicking for someone like Anufe or Miles Craigwell 
would have done something. Now, the, the other thing that had disappointed me about the, the thing, and you mentioned it, was uh, Hawkins and Tess, specifically Zach Tess. I've seen Zach Tess play 10 times better than he played in Las Vegas. And some of the errors and some of the poor decisions were him. And what he has to do is start to understand what it what's the difference between taking a team on your shoulders and trying to do too much. And I generally think that on a rugby team, especially on a sevens team, taking the team on your shoulders means uh, doing all of the dirty work to the 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 very mo the the very best that you can. Um, the contact work, the tackling, even the support running. Taking the team on your shoulders in sevens is not mean run with the ball every time you have it. And I think uh, a couple the, the main errors that I saw Tess make were he could have passed it, he he waited too long. He he could have reset the ball, he tried to go for the try and knocked it on. It's just stuff like that that uh, we're not seeing. Uh, we, and Hawkins, sorry. Hawkins sorry. did the same thing. Hawkins did the very same thing against Australia. Uh, he made what should have been an easy try a lot harder on him. It was a three-on-one, had two guys in support. And I saw Andy Katoa, you know, the USA assistant coach, was sitting a row in front of us in the press box. I saw his reaction too. Instead of passing the ball and letting the ball be centered, he dotted down in the corner because he carried in the try on his own. And they had a three-on-one. It should have been an easy situation to get the ball centered, especially in a close game like that where it, it was decided by a conversion. They lost 14-12. He centers that ball. It's a tie game, and we're going to go into extra time. And who knows what could happen from there. And So he makes that same mistake. And Falau Niua, on the last play of the Eagles' possession of the, of the game for the Eagles, in the last play period, um, takes the ball into contact and loses it via a penalty. And Australia is able to kick the ball out of the bounds to, in the game. So it's a combination of those things, but these are not, and you know, this is Falau's first year on the series. I'll give him a bit of a, a break. He probably wouldn't have been playing if Roland Sulino was healthy. Um, he certainly wouldn't have been starting. I think that we can both agree on that, but Matt Hawkins can't make that mistake. Yeah. And you know, it, <laughs> it, well, it, you know, okay, just, just, real quick. It was 1914 Australia. So it was, it was a tries worth, but at, at some point, um, you know, they actually, they lucked out because he, he did kick the, they ended up kicking the conversion, but the um, Andrew Duratalo did the same mistake uh, um, on, you know, d- during pool play, right? Where where they had they had a shot to tie the game up against Canada. Uh, they were working their way down, and uh, you know, it was, Suniola said to me that day, he said, you know, if if we had been patient. I have no doubt we would have scored and I would have nailed the conversion. We would have tied the game. And Duratalo decided he was going to make the break and it was outside the 22. And um, he ended up having an offload out of the tackle. Canadian player just caught the ball and ran into touch. End of ball game. Taking the ball up too much, especially it seems like these forwards, rather than moving the ball. But their passes per game shows that they are starting to move the ball better. Uh, Bright spots for you, Pat. I'll tell you my bright spot. Uh, is Peter Tiberio. Uh, I love him. I think he's great. I think his uh, sidestepping ability is really good. And I think that he played well enough. He scored two tries with with not that much time on the field. He scored two tries. And I think that uh, he may have earned himself some more time. Well, I don't want to take away from what he did, but that first try he scored was not an important try. It was in garbage time of a game that was already lost. Um, 
but yeah, the kid, the kid is fast and he shows some electric athletic ability. Um, but we'll see what he, he needs to get some, some time in, uh, in, in meaningful minutes. You know, one game, the, the Eagles were already up and he scored, a, you know, a score that didn't really put him go ahead, but that was, you're right. That put the nail in the coffin. The, uh, the other try wasn't exactly a, a meaningful try, but yeah, he, he has a lot of athletic ability. Um, and, and the way Shalom's playing right now at scrum half, I know Peter has played some nine uh, in in, uh, in sevens um, or number four, whatever you want to call it. He's played some scrum half in sevens. Um, maybe he's part of the mix going forward or is another option at nine going forward. I'm not suggesting that he should supplant Shalom now, but if Shalom is in bad form, then maybe Peter gets good enough to where he can step in and they he does add a spark because he's he's definitely got a, a step on Shalom in terms of sheer speed. Um, I'd say my bright spot was Mike Palafow. Um, I thought he was the only guy who could show, who showed consistently that he could break the line when it needed to happen. Um, he was the only guy that could fend until um, support came. I think he played the best on the weekend. Um, and so, yeah, I guess he, I would say he was my bright spot. And also, I'll add this because I've talked a lot about Amaka Nufe writing and talking. Um, and I do think he's a really, really special star. And I think you're right that when he gets on a, a, a wider field, he'll have more room to actually, you know, score and show his pace and show his brilliance. But I thought he played really smart, especially for a young kid. And we're talking about some of our veterans making mistakes. Um, when he saw he didn't have the corner, other than the one time when he ran out of bounds, um, he actually stayed inbounds, kept possession, recycled the ball. He, he showed he can ruck and he knows when to ruck. I thought he played really smart. And so, yeah, he does. He does do that very well. He's got, he's slippery. My, uh, my criticism of Palafau is his passing. Uh, he made a couple of pretty, uh, pretty bad passes, forward passes, stuff like that. But I, I agree with you that he kind of—he's one of the guys who took charge with running the ball. He was supposed to break through, and uh, and you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, I, I like that. So, you know, the 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 USA team going forward has some work to do, but I think that they have. Uh, they probably checked a little bit of stuff off the list. I think they defended relatively well. Um, they still need to fix their restarts, and they still need to feel, fix the turnovers. But I, but I think that if they do that, and if Roland Suniola, who was injured, is not healthy to play, and it's likely that Blaine Scully will be healthy, and we'll see, we'll probably see Blaine go in. Right. Right. And uh, um, or or. You know, you know, it may be Blaine and, and another person. Somebody slips out, like uh, we might see uh, Ambrogi get in. But uh, you know, I, I would like to see most of these players stick around for Hong Kong, just to say, all right, let's 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 take those lessons for those people, put them in again, and and see how this works. Um, because they do have a bit of a freebie, and this is the one thing that uh, guys may you know listeners may have missed uh and that is that the the irb series well you'll hear a little bit about it uh when our 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 interview with mark egan later but uh the the irb series is going to expand their core teams from 12 to 15 so the 12 teams of the core teams this year are going to stay core teams and hong kong is going to be split into two separate 12 team tournaments the core 12 are going to uh compete for the cup and the other 12 are going to compete for the Shield with the Shield winners, runners-up, and then a third team will earn a spot into the core group. So we worry about Canada. Canada is ahead of the USA in points right now. Canada is can get no more than uh, 
what is it for winning the shield? Four points. They can't get any more than that. Um, and, uh, you know, the USA has, has a shot to, to get a few more points. But the other thing is they won't be ditched out of the core group this year. It's kind of a lucky oh. timing for them. Thank you, they, IRB gerrymandering yeah, that's for right. the Eagles having a shot <laughs> to not lose to Canada. Okay. And, and watch out. If Canada finishes in the top three, this may be the first of many years to come that the United States finishes second again. I don't mean to be too pessimistic. but oh, No, I, 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 we'll talk about that another time. We don't have time, but I totally disagree with you there because this, this, this is closer to a finished product Canada team. Um, it's going to be tough for them. And, um, uh, but I will say Nathan Hirayama for Canada is – is a special player, very, very special player. Well, that's enough about the USA men's sevens team. And when we come right back, we'll be talking about the USA women's team, also played this weekend in Vegas. We'll be right back here on Rugga Matrix America. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots. Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. A year ago, the team we were really worried about more than anything else was the USA women's team. And in fact, the year before that also. And Jackie, the, you know, Rick Suggett came in, um, you know, after the, the 2009 World Cup. They had Sue Parker in for a short period of time and then, then she left and they brought in Suggett. And and Suggett's team went to the final in in Vegas in 2010 against China and actually looked very poor in losing to China. And then the year after that, they didn't even make the final. They didn't even get in the stadium, although their record was actually quite good. They they still were young. They're still trying to figure things out. Um, and Jackie, tell, lead us into this uh, interview with Rick. You talked to Rick during the week, and I talked to Devin Oceani, the, the captain, after the tournament. They won all their games except for the last one, which was the final against Canada, which is the number one ranked seventh team in the world. They lost 14-5. So um, what were you trying to get out of Rick when you talked to him this weekend? Well, first we were talking about um, 2011, how there were a bunch of different squads at each tournament, um, seems like he kind of hadn't settled on his top 12 yet and still he confesses that it's too early in the game to pick a top 12 and he's looking at more at 20 plus right now so we're just looking at the opening tournament um with a couple of weeks at the olympic training center under their belt and just see how they coalesced and he was really he's trying to take a lighter note on the tournament even though there was that pressure out there since you know with the chula vista being in the news recently to perform he just wanted them to have a good time and uh, have the stars and stripes there and just really have this good team vibe going. And I think they really responded. They finished better than they had all year. Uh, I think the best they did was fourth place. Um, they played Canada pretty well in the final, finished second. So, yeah, he was pretty happy with their performance. Coalesced, I think, is the the, the word of the week. That's a great word. Uh, this is uh, This is Rick Suggett. This is Jackie Finland with Rugby Mag here with USA Women's Sevens coach Rick Suggett. So, Rick, early on, Canada almost scored in the corner. Was the U.S. caught off guard? 
No, we weren't caught off guard at all. I mean, we have total respect for them right now. They're the number one women's sevens team in the world, and they've done a good job, uh, you know, placing out the players for this competition. And so, but credit has to go to Venetia. I mean, she come across on an angle, made a solid tackle, held her up, and kept the ball out. And then, you know, that brought confidence up to our players into there. And then, you know, Lauren made one on the other side, which again, you know, if you can tackle them, I mean, you got a chance to win the game. So that has improved for us quite a bit. Venetia was integral in that next play after she made that tackle, um, made that 80-meter, 90-meter break, um, a bit of an individual try. Do you think that uh, sparked uh, the offense a bit? Well, absolutely. I mean, I mean that's her job and that's Bix's job, you know, on the outside is when they hit the ball in their hand. And they're, uh, as I say to them all the time, I mean, you pay big money to come to these games to watch Venetia and Vix one-on-one on the outside. I mean, you could hear the crowd as soon as, you know, as soon as Venetia sort of spun out of one and started moving. And then, you know, Vix, when she caught the kick and she spun out of one of hers, and next thing you know, it's under the under the post by her footwork and, you know, and her, and her ability just to keep her balance. And so, you know, that's what we strive for a little bit is to get the one-on-ones with Vix and Venetia and hopefully they can create something magical out of it. So far, did they respond pretty well to that kind of pressure? Yeah, I mean, they're always smiling, and so, you know, that's uh, that's what I keep telling them, but when we're playing, I mean, you know, I'll work really hard with you during the week, but, you know, we're here, and this is their time that they can, you know, express themselves and play and have some fun, and, you know, and so hopefully they're doing that, and it looks like they're doing that so far. And then another, so we saw a breakaway try, and then we also saw one that evolved out a lot of, like, tight pops and, like, a lot of inside work down there. Um, do you like that kind of variety in the scoring, or is that not ideal? Well, no, uh, any way we can score is mm-hmm. ideal. I mean, you know, we you know we got shut out quite a bit in Dubai, and so it was one of the things that we talked about, you know, is we need to get on the board early, and we need to try to keep the, the pressure on teams, and, you know, so we've been able to do that, and one of our strengths is our, our ability to offload the ball, and so we've worked uh, a little bit in our on our linear support and providing those options so that you get caught on the side and don't have the big, you know, the big spin pass that, you know, like Griff popped into the game I mean, how many balls did she pick off just on a, you know, off the shoulder and, you know, and that's her strength in the game as it is with Devons and so, you know, it was good and then Tina came in uh, to replace her in the sending half and I mean, everyone sort of thinks the sevens, it's always sideline to sideline but, you know, it's always a surprise when someone all of a sudden skips through the middle so hopefully we're getting there. I think a good example of that sideline-to-sideline work was the second try, where it looked like it touched everybody's hands. It was just so great, like, switching back and forth. Yeah. Well, hopefully the, uh, the passing and catching drills that we do in practice are starting to pay off. And so I harp on them all the time about it. And uh, uh, they're a fun group to work with, Jackie, seriously. I mean, uh, you know, they they work really hard. They're really smart uh, athletes. And, you know, and they took it in the chin in Dubai. And they've come back, you know, uh, on their own and just, you know, just said, you know, enough's enough. And, you know, we, want, we need to start playing some better rugby. And they've done it so far. I mean, it's early, though. It's only the first two games. And as everyone knows with sevens, you know, day two and day three are always the intensity and stuff. So. So what were you expecting, especially having the three weeks at the training camp, or the Olympic training camp? Oh, man, how much tape you got in this thing. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, it's a really good start. I mean, you know, we have we have eight players right now. Julian Potter's joined the group. So we have eight players, and actually really just sort of the first week was just a filling out process to sort of see where we are. And then the next week, the other girls came in, and we had that week. So really we've only been there for about two weeks. And, uh, you know, and now the, and this term. So this is really our third week. And then once the girls get back, you know, they have their recovery generation days, their video days, and then we'll start working ourselves back up for Hong Kong. I think um, 
we're at a real exciting stage for uh, for women in, in sevens. I mean, you know, we got USA Rugby on side really pushing it. We got the IRB pushing women's uh, sevens now. We got the USOC really excited about what we're doing. It's nothing but positive energy there, Jackie. And uh, you know, you, you can't go there with a smile on your face every day. I mean, and then you don't have to try to jam everything in one week or three days to get ready. The athletes now have a, you know, a four-week training program, they have a three-month training program, and they have an annual plan that we're gearing for uh, through to Dubai in, in, in this year, and so um, it's really exciting, and I'm really happy to be part of it. So Joe Potter is a surprise. Yes and no. I mean, um, I kind of always had her in the eye, and then, you know, her coaches have always talked positive about her, you know, Alex has talked positive about her, you know, Lisa's talked positively about her, the athletes all have, and so, you know, you kind of hear enough of that, and you kind of know there's something special about this athlete, and, you know, and so we were really happy last night at the jersey uh, ceremony to, you know, get her back into international rugby, and so, um, and that's good, and the other positive one, too, was getting Tina back in after being off since the last World Cup, and so, you know, what we're seeing is we're seeing our dedicated athlete who's had to take two years off from an injury and have that determination to work their backside off to be part of this program, and that's the type of character that we're looking for, so both Julian and Tina have done that. Well, thank you so much, Rick. Yeah, thanks, Jackie. You can see me there. Okay, so that was USA head coach Rick Suggett, and then we we bounce on right into Devin Oceani, the uh, the new captain. And Rick said a little bit later that it was actually kind of a key move for him. He thought was giving her the captaincy, taking away from Beth Black. Not saying that Black had done a bad job, but he felt that she had a little bit less pressure on her. Um, I don't know, don't know about that, but. Um, uh, right after the final, talked with uh, the, Penn, the former Penn State player Devin Oceani. How did you feel about? Let's talk about the tournament overall, uh, because you know you, you you didn't lose games that you could have lost. You know you, you kept going, you won, you made the final, extremely competitive in the final, could have won it. So right. I'm I'm really happy with how we played. Um, I think a lot of the thing that we go went for this weekend was just to play together and have fun. And I think by us coming off the field with like still smiles on face. I mean, we just lost the final game, and people are still smiling. So I think that's a great thing. People, there was chemistry going on all tournament. People were really playing well and playing for each other. So I mean, I couldn't ask for more. I and mean, hopefully, as we progress in residency and we keep grow, like uh, building our pool, um, I really think it'll be a great match next time we meet Canada. I want to get back to the residency thing, but first of all, about the final. It was there, yeah. possible for the taking. You did have ball. You did have some attacking opportunities. What did you miss? I don't know. I I think uh, we might have been some like turnover. I got at the ruck. I think we need to be. Able, they're really good at uh, poaching the ball from us, and I think we really need to work on our physicality and getting there really quick with support. Um, so that's something that I know. I think we played really well. I mean, I don't think we had very many knock wins. People, we used our speed. We used our fresh legs. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better game from us. We played well. Uh, residency, how is that going? What, is that an adjustment for everybody to find out what it's like to, to live as an Olympic athlete? It, it's phenomenal. Um, we have 
we're just getting our eighth, eighth girl uh, living, and it's all eight of us in one house, oh, okay. and um, it's phenomenal. I so mean, so you're not sharing with other athletes? No, we're uh, we're like a mile and a little over a mile off of campus. Uh, we have a whole house to ourselves. It's like a family home. Wonderful. Um, and it's it's great. Everyone's there's like, we're all from different parts of the states and different personalities, but um, it's going great so far, and I really like it. Do you do you mix with athletes from other sports? Yeah, I mean, we go on campus every day for training and to eat all our meals. So there's plenty of times where we see like the rowers, the archery people, the MX riders. Um, so it's a great experience to get to know other Olympic athletes and to hear about their journeys. And they've been in residency for seven do, years. Do you, yeah. Do you learn something about what is you know how they go through their day and how they go through? Yeah, it's yeah. great to hear like the some of the crew members. They get up and they train like hour after hour to hour a day. And it's great to hear people's stories of like like what they went through. And like it's great to see where we're gonna have hard times and we're gonna be exhausted days. But it's great to have their like help and be like, hey, just push through it. Like your country's got your back. Like it's gonna be great and be worth all of the hard work. Uh, message for the fans. Uh, thank you so much for all your support. I mean, it's great to come out here and we knock a ball in or something's going wrong. We just hear USA chant. I mean, it's something better to put on this jersey and to have all of our fans supporting us out here. Wonderful. All right, great. Thank you so thank much, you. Alex. So here, so here's the deal, Jackie. Uh, Oceani is talking about the fact that that the entire group of uh, contracted players, and they had seven, and they're picking an eighth, and they're all living in the same house together. They're all bonding together, um, and they come out of Vegas uh, having uh, what was it, five and one, right? They've gone, they went, was it five and one four or and one. four and one? Four and one. Right. So they come out of Vegas going four and one and the only team to beat them is the number one ranked team in the world so i mean they've got to be feeling pretty good about this at this point yeah i mean even if it was a fluke not saying that it was the last time they saw canada was in dubai and they got shut out 30 something to nothing so i mean that in and of itself is a huge triumph what do you like about this team well honestly <laughs> the highlight for me, even though you know there were there were definitely some individual highlights uh, with the senior team, was the Stars and Stripes. They had four, uh, three, yeah, four of the contracted players on that team. Um, Jill Potter, who was the eighth contracted person, who signed recently. Kayleen Lundstrom, Kimber Rozier, Bowie Barvillala, and they actually were the most exciting aspect of the tournament because they just had this great energy. They were. They they played with a little bit of abandon, um, and it was just really exciting to watch. Kind of they replicate the way the whole Canadian women's team is. Like every single one of their players are really exciting to watch, and not just because they can, you know, turn the corner or you know they all put in big hits, but just like as a group, they're really exciting. So it was interesting, and Rick said it a number of times that he liked having the Stars and Stripes there because they were putting a lot of pressure on the senior players. So. They they did a lot better than the Canadian backup team, the Maple Leafs, right? They did. Um, Brazil, which was kind of the gauge for day two, uh, the Maple Leafs lost to uh, Brazil on day two, and the Stars and Stripes they had crushed Brazil on day one. It was thirty something to nothing or thirty six to five, and and then on day two they ended up losing by two points. So, I mean, they probably did similarly. Um, I know the Maple Leafs, they had a red card in their first game, and uh, I think they had a couple injuries, so they were really, like, winding down on personnel. But, um, yeah, they definitely – I mean, I don't – what kind of expectations you have for a developmental team, I think, are unknown, but they definitely surprised a lot of people. 
Well, I, th- I, I think my expectations are this. At this point, the, the USA team going into this tournament, I was still very concerned about them. I was concerned about uh, you know, who there'd been so much turnover. We're not sure who's playing, how they're playing together. If they've got, if get, they've got their feeling together. So we certainly don't think that necessarily the B side is going to be doing all that well. And the, the backup side, usually when they've played in, in at the USA sevens has not done especially well this time around. Uh, I, I, they did do well. And then the, the, the idea that some of those contracted players are, are told you're on contract, but you're not good enough to make the first side. I think that's pretty cool because then you've got this, you've got this, uh, combat, you know, this, um, what's, oh, you've got this competition between I think it's uh, players massive. and it's not um, like, you know, I think you're it's much better than what we had in the Churchill in Cup. There. I think uh, so playing just, uh, uh, A-sides of countries I think, where I think that's a positive we like to thing. think we might be able to catch up with them, you know, have you certainly set? should be said, oh, gosh, competitive no, with Japan and Canada. Of course we don't. Um, even though we haven't um, proven to be necessarily but at the same time, um, on an even keel with those guys. Think back those to are certainly eight countries where we need to be the, the USA, um, pulling ourselves uh, ahead of them and, and, the and measuring ourselves against them. Going into the so World that's Cup. huge. And then they the island nations are obviously huge. Before this time, um, if you can working play against better competition, it's only going to make you better. Them together and if we can get uh, you know, those so sorts of teams what, and potentially Russia, what's the thought about getting these players together on a regular basis? I think it's something that's very big. It could be very marketable. Um, yeah, anytime you play an island nation in the United States, is, I think it's going to be a marketable event. I think whenever you play Canada, it's a marketable event. Whenever you play Russia, it's very marketable. So yeah, I think it's. I, I think there's there's a lot of good um, things about that. And it's, I think so. So if, you, if you're a, if you're a USA Churchill Cup leaving, what are we going to have? Well, if it results in us getting in a competition, he's just kind of outlined and showing up like Mark even talked about. He's definitely upgrading. He'd probably be grateful. Yeah, that would be the way to go. All right, so when we come back, we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we will be talking a, a more global position for USA Rugby. Uh, coming back, uh, coming out of the USA Sevens in Las Vegas, which was a great time. We'll be right back. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots. Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Okay, we're back, and this is Alex Goff uh, from RugbyMag.com on Rugby Matrix America. We're with Pat Clifton and Jackie Finland. We were all in Las Vegas for the USA Sevens. And, um, you know, we had a good time. You, you, you guys didn't hit the parties too much. I, I had to go to one that was kind of quiet, but, uh, I did, I did have one, one of my, I, I actually really enjoyed this. It doesn't sound like it's a really fun time to go into a windowless room and talk to Mark Egan from the IRB, but the, uh, Mark Egan's the, uh, um, head of development for the IRB. It's his job to look around and try to make sure that uh, it's not just the same old teams winning uh, test matches and winning sevens tournaments. Uh, It's a tough job because right now it is the same old teams winning test matches and winning sevens tournaments. Uh, And and we talked a lot. We talked about uh, the USA sevens. We talked about uh, the United States men's 15s team. We talked a little bit about, we, we talked about women's stuff and we talked about uh, pro rugby as well. So this is my conversation with IRB uh, head of development, Mark Egan. Okay, this is Alex Goff with Mark Egan, the head of development and performance for the International Rugby Board. 
And we're here in Las Vegas at the USA Sevens. And Mark, thanks a lot for taking the time. And um, first of all, we're here in Las Vegas, uh, the uh, third year that uh, the tournament's been in yep. Vegas, and um, they're going to be doing more here. What yep. do you think about the tournament? What do you think about how that thing is, uh, how it's grown? Very pleased. Um, this is certainly the best year so far. The crowds are up. Um, haven't heard the final figures, but certainly what we're hearing from USA Sevens is they, you know, had maybe thirty thousand people yesterday, ten thousand on the first day. So you know, we could be going over fifty thousand for the weekend, which is fantastic. Um, I think just you know, in terms of the organisation, it's getting better every year. I mean, the field is much better this year than it was last year, and that was one of our concerns coming here. Um, but the stadium lends itself to sevens. It's fantastic. It's a bit narrower than yeah. the other pitches, and you can see tactically the teams have to change the way they play, and that's good. It's a challenge for the sport. But the great thing about sevens is that you can take it anywhere in the world. And we need to show that we can go to an American football stadium, we can go to a soccer field, we can go to a rugby stadium. That's its versatility is one of its strengths. Uh, it's one of rugby's great best calling cards as well. I think you know there's a transitional moment in every sport, and when we came here and got on NBC. That totally changed the ball game for yeah. for sevens. And you, you took the big step to go be in the United States back in two thousand four. Yes, and, yeah. and and say okay, we're going to yeah. try to dip our foot into this huge yeah. marketing market, the yeah. sports entertainment market. Went to Los Angeles. Yeah, and and you know it started and everything took a little bit step forward in various ways. Yes, um, was there a time when you said, or maybe it's the time is now? You say okay. Yeah, it's the right decision. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look, I think we always knew it was the right decision. the The problem at the time was the the cost of running the tournament and the financial risk attached to USA Rugby. So that was always our main concern. But at the end of the day, it was USA Rugby's financial risk. We can bring the tournament anywhere. We just need to bring the teams, bring our organisational template, and uh, you know the referees and everything that goes around the rugby side of it. But the host countries have to take all the financial risk, pay all the costs. Uh, but the rewards can be significant, as you see in Hong Kong and Wellington and now London and Dubai. I mean, they are now big events making good profits. So, you know, being in the U.S. was always important. Uh, Los Angeles, yeah, that, that stadium, the um, the MLS stadium, the LA Galaxy yes, stadium, yeah. wasn't it, Ian Carson? Yeah, it was a beautiful venue for Sevens, but it was, wasn't a great location. Right. And I think when the key change was when John Prusimak and USA Sevens came into the into the picture and you know John has taken all the financial risk and that's allowed USA Rugby then to get on with running the business of running the game in the country rather than trying to you know run a tournament that could actually potentially bankrupt you yeah. um, so John's involvement has been significant and you know John came up with the idea of moving to San Diego and again we had to go visit and I remember that that day we went and saw the baseball stadium and it's like well this is great this is America things like this can yeah. happen so again that was John's vision and then it was John's vision as well to come here, obviously in partnership with USA Rugby, talking about it. But, but you know, it's great to see the tournament being successful now because John has put a lot of money into it, and a lot of he's a lot of passion for sevens and rugby, and it's just fantastic to see these people who have some funding to invest come along and take a risk and hopefully get rewarded at the end of the day. But, but the profile of the game in the US has grown because of this. Yeah. Um, and that's great for USA Rugby. So it's a good partnership really between USA Rugby and USA Sevens. You've got. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are a couple of other things about the Las Vegas tournament that have a broader, yeah. um, uh, broader effect. One of them is the three days. Yes, now, the three yeah. days is it was set up to accommodate that NBC wanted yeah, to be yeah. putting the yeah. the final in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about looking ahead to yeah. to three days? I know Adelaide tried it. Yes. Um, and, and and you know should the should yeah. it be two 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 or should it be one? 
three, two, you know. Yeah, well, Adelaide tried it, and it just it didn't really work for them on the Friday. They didn't get many people to turn up. Yeah. Whereas actually here on the first day, you got ten thousand people. Yeah. You know, there's great atmosphere in the stadium, and then second day you had a big crowd, and then today I'm not sure many are out there, but it's it's obviously fewer than yesterday. When really you ideally you want your big crowd here for the finals. That's, that's right. what you that's what you want, but. You know, it's. Uh, I think it's trial and error, and I think we will review this with with NBC and USA Sevens post event. But you know, Hong Kong has the Friday night game, then Saturday Sunday, so it, it does work. And we're always trying to be flexible. And you know, to get on NBC and have that coverage is so important. And you have to try accommodate the broadcaster. But at the same time, there's a balance between making sure the tournament is successful and that the big crowds are here for the finals. You know, the player, the athletes deserve to be playing in front of the biggest crowd in the finals. You know, they've worked hard over the weekend, and that's where the biggest crowds should be. So it's, you know, we'll review it after, but it's it's worked out reasonably well for the tournament. We get the feedback from the teams as well. I mean, you know, they they have their views, and we have to always think about the players and what's best for them. Good. Yeah. Well, you've got Samoa in the final, so that helps the crowd. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the other thing, you talk about the narrow field, yeah. and, and and clearly I think a lot of teams prefer a wider field. Yeah. Um, but but rugby can be played on a narrow field. And so yes. In 15s, yeah. you know, you see some of the professional 15s yeah. uh, fields with that, that uh, tri-zone that is yes. really small. Yeah. Uh, what about... Uh, artificial turf. Yeah. What about field turf? Is that? Uh, I, I think the game struggles with that. I mean, it's yeah. played. It's played on field turf in the United yeah. States a great deal because Absolutely. it's easier to get fields. Yeah. yeah. On the on the club and yeah. lower level, internationally. Yeah. Um, do, do you? I mean, do well, you there's no major. Yeah. I mean, we have Regulation 22, and we have uh, modified the regulation now so that. Um, you know, the, and the standards have improved immensely. So you can play an international test match on artificial turf. And if you if you decide that you're, for example, say one of the big countries put an artificial turf into their stadium, New Zealand, for example, and they wanted to play Ireland in a test match, Ireland would have to play on that surface. Previously, both teams had to agree, but now because the surface is approved and all the testing has been done, all the medical injury surveys, it's safe to play on it, and uh, in some cases can be even better than the grass that smaller countries have to play on. So, no, we're 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 totally promoting the use of artificial turf. Um, and you know we don't we haven't yet had a sevens tournament on artificial, but if there was a surface there, we would have to seriously consider it. Uh, the, the problem with the series, I guess, is that you know you want every tournament to be the same and a level playing field for everybody. So if you're you know if you, the other problem is if you're training on grass during the week and then you have to come into a stadium to play artificial, uh, is that fair that you don't have the use of the artificial all week to right. climatize and train and Changing you, you do get a different well. impact on yeah. the muscles yeah. and stuff. Yeah, so, okay. but no, we're absolutely open to artificial turf. Okay. Indeed, yeah, it's it's actually it's one of the best ways we can grow our game worldwide is actually encouraging people to install artificial pitches. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the the, and and I, this might be linked, but um, the World Series is expanded to nine tournaments yes, this year. Yeah. Is it expanding more? Yeah, we're looking to go to South America for okay. ne- the next Good. the next series. Should be ideally, hopefully, we'd be in Argentina. Okay. So we're okay. still working with the Argentinian Rugby Union on the on the plan for that. And you've adjusted the uh, the how you decide the core teams. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah. uh, to be honest, I'm still wrapping yeah. my brain around it. I, I mean, it's, uh, Hong Kong, there's going to be two 12-team tournaments. Yeah, exactly. What yeah. we're doing is, so we, we uh, we're, if we're going to use the World Series for Olympic qualification, yes. uh, we have to have a transparent pathway. And at the moment, we have 12 core teams, and then we have regional teams come in and out on a, right. an invitational basis. Now, you know, five years ago, 
the, the issue was that not many teams could support themselves being in in a World Series for nine or eight or nine events now the big unions can Kenya came along etc so we need to ensure that whoever comes in as a core team can actually be competitive and sustain themselves throughout the series but now we have a lot more unions like Portugal uh, Russia you know Canada they, yeah. they can now sustain a 10 tournament series they're competitive and which is great and they all have support from the National Olympic Committees now in developing their programs so what we're doing is we're going to have a tournament in Hong Kong for 12 teams which will have the, all the best teams from the regional championships. All our regions, six regions have tournaments, men's and women's now. So we'll invite on a pro rata basis a number of teams, uh, sorry, 12 teams. The 12 core teams will play off just in the series term because at the end of the day, the winner of the series is only going to come from the top 12. Right. So your 12 core teams will play one. Then these 12, will, the second 12 will play for three spots to be core teams the following season. So we'll have 15 core teams next season and one invitational at each event. So now we're going to have 15 teams going throughout the series. But then going forward, we need to have promotion and relegation between the core team group and the regional tournament. So what we're planning to do is that uh, the top 12 of the 15 will stay up for the next season. Uh, 13, 14 and 15 will drop back down into a qualification tournament with the best teams from the regions. And three teams will go back. So they will still have a chance to go they back can up. Say they don't yeah. get dropped. Because okay. one of the big problems is you don't want to just be dropped out of it. for tw- You've contracted players. Yeah. You've got coaches paid. All of a sudden, you're out of it. Now, yeah. but, but at the same time, you need to give the others a chance to get in. Great. So I, yeah. I was wondering if that was going to be a pathway to um, expanding the size of the tournaments to 24 all the way through. But it seems like 16 is really 16 the is that we've agreed 16 is the number, yeah. That's 24. Right. I mean, the cost of running these events is huge. Having an extra eight teams. You know, Hong Kong are very happy to do 24. Right. They want to be seen as the biggest tournament. They like being the biggest tournament. They, To be fair to Hong Kong, they generate good profits from the tournament, significant profits, but they, they do invest it back into the game. They do tremendous work in Hong Kong. Sure. They just spend a million pounds on, a, on an artificial surface, actually with floodlights and changing rooms in one of the poorest parts of Hong Kong, which That's they wonderful. paid for and funded, and they fund that out of the profits of the Great. seven. So, um, no, t- I think it's 16 team formats at the moment, yeah. Women's rugby, yeah. we're, we're, we're this close to really having a legit points, you know, tracking the points circuit yes, yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, um, Dubai, yeah. um, Hong Kong, yeah. Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Amsterdam is the one that's not absolutely, on that, yeah, um, yeah, and, and then maybe another one. Yeah, Spain are looking into. Yeah, yeah what we're what we're going to do is we've got we had the tournament in Dubai. We, it was yeah. an official RB event yeah. called the Challenge Cup. We're going to have another one in Hong Kong, and it's going to be the RB Challenge Cup again. So, okay. and then we're going to have another one likely in London. So, we're going to okay. have three Challenge Challenge Cup events, which is great because well, Canada won it in Dubai. They got to bring the trophy now to Hong Kong and defend it. Okay, good. Yeah. And then the winner of that's got to bring it to London and defend it. So, and we're, we're, it's more on an invitational basis. We're basically picking. Trying to have as much reason, one from each region, but we want the best teams there who have invested over the years, who are competitive, because we have to create competition for the women. Otherwise, in the Olympics, you know, if the men's, you could take any of these events, these games, quarterfinals, semis, put them in the Olympic Stadium yeah. or wherever it's going to be, and it would be absolutely first class. The women's event, it's getting much better now. The rugby I'm seeing out there is fantastic, and you know, fair play to Canada, USA, and even the Brazilian girls absolutely. and the Dutch and. You know, it's, it's really growing. The competitiveness is there. It's getting better and better. The skill levels are improving. Um, so we need to create a series that the women can play in. And ideally, we'd probably have three or four events, hopefully four. Okay. And it would be a, a, a legit series. And there would be a group of core teams. And then there would be teams um, brought in from regional tournaments as well. And then we've Rugby World Cup 7s 2013. Sure. And we will use the rankings from that to select the core teams for the following season where we may have 12 core teams. Okay. Yeah, so we, we have plans in place to have a, a women's series. So for, for 2013, yeah. 
really not you wouldn't necessarily have a circuit because you're building up towards but we will we'll start we'll start, start a circuit at the end of this year got it it'll probably start in dubai and then there would be three more tournaments that would take us up to the rugby world cup sevens and then we'd have the rugby world cup sevens end of june the top 12 from the rugby world cup sevens more than likely now this still has to be approved by our council mm. will be the core teams for the following year's series which again would probably start in dubai you might whether we come here or not we're not sure but okay. hong kong dubai hong kong and london are the anchors okay. really but we have had a fantastic tender from a couple of other countries sure. uh, who are very in Brazil are interested, the Dutch are interested, Spain, you know, some fantastic bids. And we got to think, you get great profile of, out of attaching the event to the men's event because you have the broadcasters here, you have the media here. Yeah. You could go to, you know, Spain or the Netherlands, it would be a standalone event. You wouldn't get the broadcast exposure or the media interest. Yeah. But at the same time, we need to give those countries an opportunity to host an event. Sure. So and, and you need to give... Sorry. Uh, you yeah. need to give... Uh, um, the women's tournament a chance to stand alone and just see exactly yeah yeah okay. i think initially a balance of having joined with men's tournaments and stand alone as well and then in time it may grow into its own th- own thing anyway. so las vegas possibility but not, not possibility not yeah i mean we're not uh you know we have some issues with those fields out there for a fully sure. fledged rb tournament um, but that would be a bit of an issue for us yeah okay yeah um back to the united yeah. states now the united states uh is not a usa rugby is not a rich yeah. rugby union still trying to work their way up the, the different yeah. rankings the women's sevens team is probably yeah. the most successful uh, yeah. the, the men's sevens team is probably the one that that um uh, operates in front yeah. of of the biggest crowd and, and, yeah. and that sort yeah. of thing um uh not that USA Rugby should have their hand out yeah. saying give us money but the IRB is giving Absolutely. USA yeah. Rugby large amounts of money yeah. to help develop their mm. players and their teams yeah. how do you feel about the progress made yeah. what, what what needs to be done for USA Rugby on the national team level yeah. ok well I think look the key thing that USA Rugby need for 15s is regular competition and we, we had a big meeting uh, during the week actually with all the tier 2 countries so the you know, we had the Pacific Islands, the three of them, Japan, Russia, Canada, USA, Romania, Georgia. We all got together to say, OK, you know, look at the World Cup. It was successful from the Tier 2 nation point of view. The results were good. You know, the average points difference in the first week was only 20 points uh, between Tier 1 and Tier 2. Previous World Cup had been 38. Um, now, it tapered off a little bit because of the scheduling and etc. But overall, you know, Tonga beating France, Samoa nearly nearly did yeah. Wales and South Africa Georgia very competitive and you know in the USA played with great pride as well and Canada came came through with flying colours so you know to you know, first of all we're trying to keep the gap you don't want the gap to expand too much because the problem is these tier 2 nation players unless you're playing professional rugby in Europe you're not playing regular week in week out to high level competition so we've got to get the international competition model right so we're looking at having an annual tournament in June you know rejuvenating the old Pacific Rim comp- yeah. idea um and having a, a fully integrated November schedule where the likes of U- USA will come into Europe and play Georgia and Romania or, and Japan. Um, and, you know, so between a June competition and a November window, they will have probably seven or eight top-level test matches and play the odd Tier 1 fixture right. in the four-year cycle. Next year, well, this year they've got uh, Italy coming in, yeah. Canada and USA, and then next year they've got Ireland coming in for test matches. So I think it's competition is crucial to everything. And then I've been very impressed with what... USA Rugby have done with the pathway here as well you know the collegiate rugby is going well the restructuring of some of those um, competition formats uh, is good and you know when you've got rookie rugby over 500,000 children now have come to the game of rugby so there's fantastic work at the development level uh, the pathway still needs some work and I do think they need kind of a semi 
there has to be a semi-professional kind of club competition here. Not cl- I don't think it's going to be club-based, but I think it could be city-based. Yeah. And there are plans and discussions ongoing with joining up with Canada to have yeah. some kind of city-based league for about eight. You know, so eight. There's, there's been a lot of talk about that yeah. stuff, and you're involved. With yeah, we're, we're, we're aware, aware of what's right. going on now. Yeah, but we have to. We, we provide funding to Canada and USA. Sure. And, you know, we spend. Uh, yeah, we're spending ten million pounds a year on our high-performance investments alone, but that's between fourteen unions. Uh, USA get get good money. Um, you know, we give them and their high performance grant is about six hundred thousand pounds a year, but it costs a lot more to do things here. You know, to assemble the squad for testing and fitness costs sixty thousand dollars. Yeah. So, you know, we got to pay. Co- they wouldn't be able to employ the coaches they do if they weren't able to use our money to do it. They wouldn't be able to have the assemblies or prepare for the the June window and the November window if they didn't have our money. Now we do ask them to direct it towards. You know, talented education programs as well as sports science support and strength and conditioning, and they're getting good support from the USOC. I mean, don't forget the what's great about the USA Rugby is, you know, four or five years ago the overall revenue was five million dollars. It's now getting close to ten million dollars when you add in, you know, the Emirates sponsorships and Canterbury and other ones and USOC money, the membership dues and the IRB money. It's now a ten million dollar business. Yeah. So that's you know that's fantastic news because it is grow. It shows the business is growing number of players is growing and the number of programs is growing uh, the NA4 was a seemed like a you know a, a, an idea with a yeah. heart in the right place yeah yeah but I, in my opinion anyway yeah. plopping down a pile of money yeah. for something that never existed before it's yeah. enormously difficult to then say poof it's going to work yeah especially when the people involved the coaches yeah say uh, on the USA level is it, the, the national team coach was not yeah. was not invested in supporting a league that would be a uh, a professional endeavor yeah. he was yeah. interested in picking his national team yes yeah uh, so it, in, in a way it didn't last because of that yeah but, so is it fair to say that you need to be looking at uh Locally invested people uh, yes. to help yeah, absolutely. push something yeah, yeah. forward. But look, we don't forget at the time when we launched Street Investments, USA and Canada had nothing like this. So, yes, it cost money, um, but we actually got some good returns on that. There were some good players came through those programs and ended up playing in the 2007 Rugby World Cup. Now, at the end of the day, yes, we. Well, we didn't just get rid of it, actually. We, we kind of transformed it. What we've done with the money that we're using for that is now Canada have their Canadian Rugby Championship. Right. So we're helping support that. So USA weren't able to get anything like that together, but Canada had already their provincial unions. So they now have a fantastic competition yes. with you know Ontario, yes. British Columbia, and now I think um, Quebec are coming in. So it's expanded to five. Now, though, and those provinces now are putting their own money in and generating sponsorship. We're, help, we're just putting in some kind of seed capital really to help pay for the flights and get the teams up and running um, we've also created the America's Rugby Championship yeah. we have Canada, USA, the Jaguars from Argentina and we probably have Chile or Uruguay coming in So, and that, that's in the October window so that prepares the players then for the November international schedule when they go to Europe so I think um, in terms of you're right, if there's a local competition going to be formed it has to be locally based local investment because uh, they know how to run that competition better than we do. We just want to make sure that the international pathway is right and the sub-international for things like the America's Rugby Championship um, are right as well. But if USA want to set up a professional league, they have to do it themselves with their own money. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots. Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to rugbyimports.com. Well, that was actually, it's a relatively long interview, guys. Uh, so, um, you know, you know wake, wake up. Um, 
But you know, it was it was I I I found it interesting. I thought it was good. There was a bunch of little things that came out of that. First of all, he knows about the pro rugby initiative in the United States that's going on. A, a group of investors, uh, we've written about it at rugbymag.com. Uh, the, the group of very quiet, low key investors. They don't want to talk about themselves. They're going to be announcing something. They actually were thought we'd, they'd be announcing something about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, but but they haven't done it yet. Um, but we will be hearing something from them soon, and that was confirmation that the IRB is working with them, aware of them, wants to help them. I think that's I think that's good news. We also have talk about the fact that there will probably be a pack rim tournament. Uh, the way for those of you who remember back in the late nineties, it was USA, Canada, Japan, and Hong Kong played. And then uh, the IRB came and took it over and said, Hong Kong, you can't play because you're – well, Hong Kong residency rules basically said if you move to Hong Kong for six months, you could play for Hong Kong, not the rules anybody else uses. So they, they turfed Hong Kong out uh, partly because Hong Kong said, well, if we don't have that rule, we can't compete. And they brought in Fiji, Tonga and Samoa, which was really great for the tournament for the first two years, and then the money dried up, and the tournament just sort of disappeared after 2001, which was really a great shame because the rugby itself was was good, was a, a, a very good for the USA and helped make the USA a really a, a pretty strong team going all the way into 2003. I think that had uh, ramifications. So to bring that back, I think it's a good marketing move. I think it's good for the fans, and I think it's good for the players. No, I mean, yeah, you're right. It does need to survive on its own. But the fact that uh, the IRB knows about it and, and, frankly, the fact that, uh, you know, if you couple that with the fact that they're being quiet about it, to me are the two things that you need to – that are kind of promising. Because uh, you look at the, uh, the, the Tatham Sevens Grand Prix thing, you know, that's been bantied about, and he, he wasn't shy about talking about it. But that's not really resulted in anything. And I think that the, the kind of um, people that uh, we're hearing may be involved in this pro rugby thing and the fact that they're keeping it quiet makes sense to me. They're not going to pop off about something um, because if they did, it would be headline news in, in the places where they are. They're not going to pop off about something unless it's going to be a serious thing and it's going to go forward and until they're ready to do it. And um, But they, they've, you know, they, they filed for... Uh, they're, they're an actual entity um, for tax purposes in Delaware. Um, we we know about it. We know some of the names. They've talked to the IRB. To me, it seems like there's a lot of things going on uh, behind closed doors. And I'm sure many, 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 many more things than what we've talked about uh, or what we know about. So to me, that's kind of promising, the fact that it is being somewhat kept quiet and that the IRB does know about it. So that's what I glean from, from you know, what Mark Egan has to say is that, you know, it's a good thing that, that – that, uh, they seem to be doing their due diligence uh, behind closed doors to get this thing going because I think it's ultimately what separates us from uh, Japan, uh, one of the many things that separates us from Japan and the rest of the rugby world. So I, I think that it, it's massive, and the one thing I glean from it is that it, it's, it seems like these guys are actually doing um, their homework behind closed doors, and that's a good thing. It It is marketable. That's the thing. You know, the the There are teams that come to the United States to play that are going to make be big draws and some that won't. Ireland seems to be a fairly big draw. South Africa was a huge draw in Texas in 2001. But one of the teams, the teams that you really, we've seen some good crowds come is if you play Tonga or Samoa in Northern California or in, uh, in Utah, you're going to get a big crowd. And we saw in the USA Sevens, the, the crowd that stayed for the end of the, the game 
at the end of the tournament, one of the big things was the fact that Samoa was in the final. A huge number of Samoan fans. So, so we're, that would be something that would be really beneficial. Japan, eh, they don't. They 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 draw okay. They did okay. They could play them in Hawaii and probably draw better. Um, but I, more than anything else, I think it's it's and and Jackie, you might want to jump in this about the Nations Cup for the women because it's the same sort of thing. Playing in a competition that they can win matters to the fans. I mean, absolutely. They want to show up and cheer, cheer on their team and, you know, celebrate a win, um, especially since for the women, they, you know, they get so few tests. So, you know, picking the right competitions and the right um, opponents is really key for the women's game. And, and talking about the women, that was something else that came up was that the women are going to get a, uh, a seventh circuit officially um, next year. It, right now it's a challenge trophy. So, um, Canada won the tournament in Dubai. They got a trophy. When they go to Hong Kong, they're going to bring that trophy, and whoever wins there gets to take the trophy home. And then they go to London, and they're going to do that. And so they, th- those three tournaments are definitely going to be in a circuit next year. And then there's a fourth tournament. And I talked about the fact that Las Vegas is a potential for that. And and personally, I thought that that would be a no-brainer to have it in Las Vegas. Problem is, while the the Star Nursery fields next to Sam Boyd are good enough for the Las Vegas Invitational. The, the venue is not necessarily good enough for, for an international women's you know, stop on the circuit. And that's going to do it for us. We are out of time, probably over time. We had a great uh, talk with Mark Egan from the IRB. We talked with Rick Suggett. We talked with Shalom Sunilo. We talked with Devin Oceani. Uh, Jackie and Pat, that was great. And uh, Pat, I, I, I don't know, you and I disagree on the USA uh, men's team, but that, that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll be proved right or wrong one way or the other in about a month. Uh, stay tuned for Rugged Matrix America when we come up next time because we will most certainly be talking to Mike Tolkien or we'll try to talk to him as soon as possible, uh, the new USA 15s national team head coach. And we will also be checking in on the first week of the D1A, formerly College Premier Division. And so those are two big things that will be coming up later. But don't forget that you can check out Rugged Matrix America on RuggedMatrix.com. Also see the international show there. You can go to iTunes Store to check it out. And also don't forget to see everything, news, Rugged Matrix America, everything you want on RugbyMag.com. So for Jackie Finland and Pat Clifton. This is Alex Goff thanking you for listening to Rugga Matrix America. <laughs>